Hi, I'm Teresa Duncan. And I'm Kevin Henry. Welcome to Chew On This. We are excited to bring you our views of current topics in the dental industry and put a little different spin on them, giving you something to chew on. If you need to jump off, be sure to check the show notes for links as well as how to get in touch with us. And now let's give you something to chew on. Hey, we are back for another edition of Chew On This, both audio and video. We're just killing it technology wise. Kevin, what do you think about this? You know what? We are so like 21st century. I feel like, you know, we were back in the linotype and fax days, but now we are zooming into the future, my friend. <laughs> so linotype and fax days, you just lost the younger listeners who are like, what the heck is that? A lot that? of Googling going on right now. A lot of no, Googling. I don't think there's any Googling. You know what's going on right now? Oh, that boomer humor. That's what's Oy. going on right now. So. <laughs> so our last edition was pretty much people liked it. It was a true crime edition. Yes. How about that, right? Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. So let's true keep crime. the ball rolling. What do you say? Well, and I found a case that is not fun. So... But yeah, but this is like such a teachable moment case. And there's so many things that went wrong in this case, just reading the documentation and it is going to trial. The family wants a jury trial. And so the facts are out there. Again, there is no, there's no judgment made in whether or not it's a wrongful death. But back in 2021, Kevin, we had a, uh, in Swan Lake Dental in uh, Connecticut, a very, uh, I guess, um, trusting grandma went to go get some teeth extracted. And of course, and they're, they're definitely saying, you know, she was a beloved grandmother, former nurse, 81 years old, went in for some extractions. And unfortunately, she did not come out. So she was uh, found to be unresponsive and actually died in the chair. And let's go over what happened there because there is so much here. And in fact, uh, before we started recording, I just kept scrolling through this article, right? Because it just kept going on and on and on. So I will definitely link it. But basically, she was rushed to the hospital. And because what happened was the dentist removed a retractor during the procedure, the lady had received nitrous oxide and had also been given a halcyon tablet. Okay. So this is, I guess what the, this doctor's standard MO is. So they actually removed the retractor and asked her to close her mouth and got no response. And that's when they realized that she was dead in the chair. So that's, that's tough. Um, So then the doctor says that she screamed, call 911. And the treatment notes actually reflected this, which is good. So I'm actually really happy that the doctor did a post event write up. We've talked about that in previous episodes where if you have a medical emergency, someone needs to stop, right? And, And write that up that that's part of the documentation. Yeah. So what uh, what they found, the EMS came and found that her skin was pale, cool to the touch, non-reactive pupils. So basically she had passed away. Here's where the, the problems, when they start uncovering everything about this case, the problems begin. Uh, the pulse oximeter um, fell off her finger sometime during the procedure. They also uh, said that her tissue had changed color. It was not 
getting good blood flow, which happens when you pass away. So they should have noticed that something was going on with the tissue. And there's been an extensive amount of review of the chart notes and the EMS chart notes, but basically not following up with her vitals, not looking at the oxygen level, not checking for breathing, not just the doctor is looks like to be at fault, but also the staff members. Yeah. Ultimately, it does fall back to the doctor, though, right? In this case, haven't we seen that time and again? We have that ultimately, you know, that's who everything kind of falls down upon. But again, a teachable moment, you know, let's make sure that we say that. But it is something that absolutely should they have noticed that the oxometer fell off? Should they have noticed that there wasn't any breathing happening? You know, some people pass mm -hmm. away peacefully. I, I know that that is the case, but still, there should have been something that would have alerted somebody that things weren't right. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also what was called, in quotes, uh, deviations from the standard of care. And so the expert witness came in and made a comment about the fact that she had lots of medical issues, but they were, in quotes again, poorly identified medical issues, which tells me that maybe medical history had not been updated for this woman. And when you go in and have a procedure that's nitrous and sedation, this is so paramount. Like this is not just standard of care, but on feels kind of like common sense, well, you know? You know, you gave them praise for the documentation after the event, but yeah, it sounds like there were yeah. some things that should have been done before as well. Well, unfortunately, what seems to have been overlooked allegedly is that the updated medical list was not it just wasn't looked at. So at least two months prior to the procedure, the family had given an updated list of medications that she was taking. Miss Scott here was taking. She had respiratory issues. She was also on Oxycontin and Oxycodone. Okay. So in nitrous, according to the expert, nitrous shouldn't have been used because of the respiratory issues. And then the halcyon shouldn't have been used because of the oxycodone. So basically it's like super sedations is yeah. what this woman had. So it suppressed respiratory, suppressed all sorts of stuff going on in the body. And so that, that is the problem. And the uh, expert said that in their opinion, this is what caused the death. And I'm sure the coroner's um, information is going to be in there, but it is definitely a testament to the fact that medical emergencies were not necessarily paid attention to other than calling 911. We should have been, I would think that you should catch them before that point. But sedation is a big deal, Kevin. I'm still surprised that doctors don't do the training and that the staff doesn't do the training. If that's in fact what happened here, but in general, don't we see tons of cases of sedation gone wrong? And there's all, usually there's something that was missed in these situations. You do. And, and you wonder, you know, one thing that I've talked to several team members about is the fact that sometimes training isn't taken as seriously as it should be. That even if the training is given, that sometimes you kind of zone out, you check Facebook, whatever it might be, and you're not really 100% present. And I think that that's where... You know, you think it'll never happen in my practice. Oh, that's never going to be the case. And you kind of sure. blow some things off in your own mind. And then something like this happens and it's truly a, a life-changing experience. Well, and if you're the team member that is assisting during this procedure, I can't imagine the feelings. I mean, the doctor, she was freaked out, obviously. I mean, she's screaming, call 911. And then she has to be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be held liable for this. I can't believe this happened under my watch. But the team member, we don't know if they're 
they've been doing this for a long time. Did they even get training? I mean, this is therapy. You, you're going to need therapy yeah. for this kind of thing. You know, and let's go back to that medication list that you mentioned. You know, obviously there was a misstep there along the way. So it's a question of why wasn't this entered in or why wasn't this noticed? You know, I mean, there's so many things. This is like a textbook case of what not to do especially mm -hmm. leading up to the actual event. Certainly the event is horrible, but you look back at all the things that happened and could it have been prevented? It's possible, you know, just looking at what, yeah. you know, is mentioned in this article. Well, and it's really sad too, because when you pay your malpractice fees, right, your, your premiums, and you hope that they're going to be there to defend you. And she probably has representation, but I've talked to multiple malpractice attorneys that will say, look, if you don't have this covered, all we can do is help you get to a plea agreement or help you get to, but that's, that's on the, the civil side. This is criminal. They're bringing criminal wrongful death charges against her. Malpractice does not cover that. So this likely is costing the doctor a pretty penny. I can't imagine that she's still, um, I didn't check to look, but bad journalist here. Uh, I didn't check to see if her practice was still open, yeah. but this is a career killer all around. Well, and, you know, as we talked about in our last episode, you know, when something happens in the practice, it doesn't just impact the people that were in that operatory. It impacts the rest of the team members. You know, do they still have jobs? It impacts the rest of the patients who might've been in the middle of a treatment. And now all of a sudden the practice is closed. What do they do? How do they get their records? All these different things that go into that little ripple that all of a sudden just keeps expanding out. And so I think that Certainly, it was a horrible moment for that practice, but the impact goes way beyond just the people that were in that moment. For sure. Well, and it's up to the the, the courts now to decide the fate and uh, our best wishes all around, because if the doctor is found guilty, this is a terrible life to live out, you know, with the guilt and in the punishment. And for the family, I mean, how sad to lose a loved one so unexpectedly. Absolutely. So our, our thoughts with, with all of them. Now that was in Connecticut. And then you told me, even though this is an American show, Kevin, yes. you told me we're going North. Well, we're going up North. You know, if you look at your map, Canada and Connecticut aren't that far away. I mean, it's still a little <laughs> bit of a drive, but it's better than coming from Colorado. Okay. So for sure. Uh, or, you know, even the, the mid Atlantic region there, but yeah, let's go across the border to Canada and let's talk mm -hmm. about inflation because that is obviously a hot topic here in America. Well, guess what? It is across the border as well, and it is whenever it comes to dentistry. So this is from the Globe and Mail, which is a very respected publication in Canada, and we will link this in the show notes. The headline, Dental Costs Soaring Across Canada as Fee Guides Get Updated. So as you mm. go through this article and you look, it talks about decades, high inflation, higher staffing costs, other rising dental practice expenses, such as rent, equipment, and infection control, prevention, and control are driving average annual fee increases of 5 to almost 10%. And so they wow. go through the various fee increases that have been done across the provinces there in Canada. And for example, Quebec, where Montreal is located, 9.8% year over year. Oof. Ontario, where Toronto is, Newfoundland and Labrador, 8.5%. New Brunswick, 7.57%. So these are all pretty steep jumps in the fee guides. 
So, and again, this newspaper, I've read this for several articles. They do a very good job. And one of the things that they did is that they went to each of these dental associations in each of the provinces to ask them about that. And, mm -hmm. I, and I love that they went to uh, the British Columbia Dental Association, which I don't think they list what theirs was. But BCDA said in an email, and I'm just going to read this, that it's important to note that suggested increases are just that, suggestions. Dentists can decide whether to apply some or all of the increases based on the reality of their practices. Mm. You know, and that's one thing that you and I have talked about a lot off camera is the fact mm -hmm. that a fee guides are always suggestions more than guidelines. Right. And it's really right. up to the practice to decide, is that something that I'm willing to do? And if so, how do I explain that to my patients? Because there's always that fear of a backlash. Well, you explain it by knowing your numbers. Yeah. You have to know what your cost of goods sold, which is your procedure time, cost per procedure, cost per hour, you know, how much of an impact does hiring a new employee make? I mean, it's it boils down to knowing your numbers. So one one important thing to know about the provincial fee schedules or fee guides is every province in Canada has one. They're not the same as you've noticed. They all go up in different variations. And definitely there's parts of Canada that are more expensive to live in. I mean, Montreal has got to be ridiculous, honestly. So you have differences in that, but not every procedure is listed in these fee guides too. So there's, there's a very large amount of private practice dentistry going on. So yes, the provinces can set these fees. And usually if you charge a little bit higher, the population will know that you are charging higher. Yeah. And so that's not actually a good look. So it's not great for a lot of dentists because they're kind of, they're nervous about going higher than the suggested fee schedule. And this was fascinating to me because when I used to teach insurance, Canadian people would come to some of these implant courses that I gave and they would say, do you know anything about Canadian insurance? And I would say, oh, that shouldn't be too difficult to figure out. And I would actually try to research it. And I just said, heck no, I'm not teaching this because every province is different and has different rules. So you, you actually, you have a lot of dentists who don't really get impacted by these guides because they're doing a lot of work that's not listed in the guides. So it's just very interesting, but it's very different than our codes. Very, very different. And um, I'm glad though, to see that the guides are keeping up with inflation. Yes. Whereas in America, we have a lot of fee schedules that are, you know, contracted fee schedules that are not keeping up with inflation. In fact, going the other way and the ADA, really just publishes, you know, fee surveys, mm -hmm. which they don't come out and say, these are your fees. They just say, Hey, here's what so-and-so down the street is getting. You do what you want. But to publish a standard fee, they're not touching that with a 10 foot pole. So I'm actually kind of, I'm actually a little bit impressed that the provinces will say, Hey, this is sort of your ballpark. Well, and, and it's something that I love that they talked about the rising staff costs, you know, because we mm -hmm. know how much the team members are now you know, in, in certain areas are getting boosts in pay because it is that shark infested pool where people are taking other team members from other practices for a dollar more an hour or whatever it might be. And so yeah. there's a lot of you out there that are having to fight that battle every day to make sure that you keep your team together. And, you know, spoiler alert, that's only going to get worse according to some of the statistics that are out there over the next five years. So I think that 
And Therese, here's an example. My wife and I were just up in Breckenridge, Colorado. That's about two hours from where we live last week. We went into a restaurant and there was a notice posted up there that talked about some of their fee increases. And it talked about the amount that they are having to pay their employees a living wage to actually live in Breckenridge to come into wow. work. And so it was one of the things that, yes, it was not a cheap dinner, but it was also something that reading through that, we understood that for mm -hmm. them to stay open, for them to keep their team together, for them to provide the service that we would expect as customers, that this is why the fees had gone up. And so I think yeah. just being very black and white and very business minded about it, I don't think is a bad way at all to explain if your fees go up, this is the reason why. It's not that we're pocketing more money, it's that we're having right. to keep our standard of providing business at a high level that you would expect. Well, and just talking to restaurant owners over the years and looking at published margins for these businesses, Restaurants are so razor thin. Yeah. I mean, we complain about our margins in dentistry. We're actually doing just fine. When you look at an, a restaurant, a convenience store, a gas station, their margins are single digits. And so a big hit like staffing, I mean, now you understand why there's one server for 20 tables. It just, the margins just aren't there. And I do feel, I don't know how restaurants make it. I really don't. Yeah. Anytime I see a brand new restaurant, you know, Norman and I talk about this all the time because he, he's been in a lot of restaurants. We say, gosh, we hope they have enough capital because new restaurants fail. Like that's one of the highest failing yeah. businesses out there. So it's, it's tough. I wonder where dentistry is, right? Like pretty much we get money thrown at us by banks left and right. Yeah. And it's not the same at all. If you go into a bank and you say, hey, I want to open a dental office or a restaurant, the bank's going to be like, uh, yeah, this restaurant can just go over here on this pile. Um, but, yeah. but isn't it also interesting how we as consumers view restaurants or convenience stores or, you know, Walmarts, Targets, whatever you want to say, if the price goes up a little bit, we're like, well, it's the cost of doing business, blah, blah, blah. But if we go into our doctor or our dentist, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, they're, they're ripping us off here. So I, I think I think that there, I think that we in the dental industry have to do a bit more education about costs and not just try to mm -hmm. slide it under the table and then go, wait a minute, why is it this much for my filling? That is something we well, have to really explain. You know, this is a business. And like you said, knowing your numbers yeah. is a big part of that. Well, but you know, if you look at the medical side of it, Kevin, what happens is the patients get this EOB at home and they see the I charge two hundred dollars and the allowable fees seventy dollars. That's a, that's a hard thing to reconcile. True. And, and, you know, you and I are of an age now where we go to the doctor what? quite often, right? I know, right? And, and when I look at some of the, the, like lab bills, for example, you know, a lab bill will be easily $1,000. And then after the negotiated fee, it's down to like 300. And I'm going, how much padding is going on in these bills? And so as transparent as we would like to be, I don't know. If the medical side, I don't know if they ruined that for us. That's a really good point, actually. I just got an EOB back on some x-rays that I had done. It was one of those, wait a minute, seriously? Yeah. So, you know, I, I could have done without that apparently. So, right. Yeah. And your out of pocket is something stupid, like $8 and 52 cents. And you're like, where did this come from? So I don't know. We're so worried about asking for a $25 deductible, but medicine's over here wilding out, you know, who knows what's going on over there. 
I think it's always great to know. And, and, you know, it's something I talk about in my lectures. I know you do as well, that it's something we need to know what's going on in our practice. We've also got to know what's going on around us as well. Mm -hmm. We've got to make sure that we understand that inflation and staffing shortages and everything else aren't just happening with us, but everywhere else and how other people are dealing with that too. For sure. Yeah. We got to stick our head out of the office every now and then see what's going on. So, all right. And now since we're on video, you can stick your head out and take a look at us now on YouTube, right? Hey, how about that? So, all right. Well, dear listeners, we always appreciate that you spend your time with us. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap for this episode of Chew on This. We hope you laughed and learned a little. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. And don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. Feel free to drop us a comment on social media or by email if you have any suggestions for future topics. We'll be back in about two weeks. See you then.